Well, welcome today. If we haven't met before, my name is Rob Jacobson, and I don't know if you watched the NCAA tournament last week or in the weeks prior, but the championship game, I can't believe it was only six days ago. And, you know, Wisconsin and Duke were kind of going back and forth and forth and back. And just when I thought Wisconsin was going to, like, take it away, they were kind of an offensive powerhouse. Um, This guy from the bench of Duke, Grayson Allen, like, scores eight straight points for Duke, the only person to score for Duke, keeping them in the game and then helping them to go on and win the game. Now, I have no idea really what made this guy, Grayson Allen, unstoppable that night, but I do believe that he didn't let the fact that he was a freshman or the fact that he rode the bench all year was not part of the starting five stop him from making huge game-winning contributions to the game. I mean, if you watched it, it was kind of a pretty awesome game, right? Maybe? Maybe? All right. Just think back for a moment. There's a point to my story. Think back for a moment of when you watch something or experienced, you know, when you saw something on TV or saw something live in person, it was, it, or, it was a spectacular thing. What did you do right afterwards? I mean, your parents may have sent you to bed. My guess is that's what, not what you wanted to do. Um... You probably didn't, like, turn the TV immediately to something else and say, oh, what can we watch again? Didn't you want to talk to people about it? Whether it was your friends or your parents or you, like, went outside and tried to find a neighbor to express, you know, just share in the emotions of the moment, or just as likely as talking about it, you wanted to go out and do it. I'd I'd be curious to see how many boys signed up, or, well, I guess in 81, That's when, right, right, 1980 Olympics, when the United States went on to win the gold medal in the Olympics in hockey. And I wonder how many boys more went out for hockey the next year. Anytime we're watching a football game, my son immediately wants to go play football after this thing. Anytime we're watching uh, a skating or gymnastics thing, my not that they have to be these sports, but my girls, they want to go out and do these things immediately after watching them. I think it's our natural reaction to something spectacular. But sometimes we don't do that in our faith. Like, I don't know how many of you came back from a week after Easter and were like, yeah, let's do that again. I mean, it's just, it's so natural for Easter to be almost this one and done and for us to kind of fall back into patterns, which, you know, sometimes patterns aren't bad. But I want us to think for a moment of if you've ever been caught up in a moment like a championship basketball game. You know, these moments where the energy and the momentum is just so powerful, it's so tangible that literally you feel unstoppable. Maybe you've even seen that new commercial where this guy builds a fence. I think it's a Lowe's commercial. He's building this fence. He's like, wow, I think I could do anything. And then he goes and tries to fold a fitted sheet and he totally befuddles the whole deal. And he's like, oh, we can help. So we have more than that today. But it just got me thinking about You know, the one activity in my life that I've forever wanted to do, it's the one that like best describes in my mind getting caught up in this powerful energy and this unstoppable momentum, it's surfing. Now, I know a few of you have surfed. I I mean, I don't know if all of you have surfed, but like I I remember watching these pros um, or really, really competent people when we were in California a few years ago. um, And even when I was a kid watching them and just being... I guess, awestruck by the awesomeness of riding the wind and the waves. I've watched movies on surfing. I've watched TV about surfing. I've read, read about surfing. 
But a couple years ago, we're, we're in California again, and we're literally at the beach. We have time. There's a board shop across the street, and there's people, not many, but there's people surfing. And I just stood there, and I'm kind of like, my wife is making sure our kids aren't, you know, running into the ocean. But I'm just in this moment of like, <sighs> and I just stopped doing, and that's all I did. And it wasn't that I couldn't afford to rent a board. And it it wasn't that I was worried about looking foolish to my family or the hundreds of strangers that were there. And, you know, it wasn't even like the water in in essence of the riptide or I know you can get pulled out. I'm I'm, I'm a pretty competent swimmer. I remember the videos about if you're ever swimming in the ocean, you know, swim sideways, not straight in. And so that wasn't the problem. But what stopped me, and like still I get a little hyperventilating about it, is this unbelievable fear of what's beneath the water. Uh, I could not do it. I don't know if I'll ever be able to do it, because my biggest thing is specifically getting attacked by sharks. Um, You know, uh, maybe slamming into a coral reef, that would hurt, Um, or I would be one to fall off a surfboard and uh, get it slammed back into me, but pretty much just getting attacked by sharks. Maybe stung by a jellyfish, but did I mention sharks? Hyperventilating fear. I think some of us, we come to Easter, and it's this powerful moment, and then we come out of Easter, and, and we're not really sure what to do next. And maybe we kind of get into the same patterns, but there's this moment in Easter that changes everything. There's a moment in, in, in a basketball game where these people know they're going to win, and it could change everything for them. Maybe there'll be a moment when I surf, and it'll change things for me, but, but more than surfing. I want you to think about a situation that has or has the potential to stop you from truly, fully living to the fullest, living alive, especially in this idea of walking with Jesus. Is there a fear that sidelines you? Is there something about the routine of Easter that keeps it this one and done and and, and not this powerful, unstoppable momentum that can have in your life and faith? See, one person just wrote to me this. I want to live life to the fullest and the abundance that Jesus promised, but I want to know what I'm doing wrong. Because I'm, so si- t- I'm so tired of struggling in my faith. I'm discouraged by how much I fail at living for and with Jesus. I want to find this freedom and joy that, that I see other people living in their faith. And, and when I read the story of Acts, I want to be caught by the Spirit. I want to see it rushing into my life and, and sweeping me off my feet and bringing me to my knees and filling my heart and filling my mouth with marvelous words and, and unbelievable truths. And I, I want to know from someone who feels like they've given up on the Spirit's power that it's possible for me to be filled with the Spirit, that it's possible for my mind to be filled with holy thoughts, and it's possible for my heart to be ignited by God's love? Is there help for me? You know, I don't know if that would describe a point in your life, but that's why we come to this series 
called Unstoppable. That's why we're walking through parts of the book of Acts, because we're, we're praying and we're, we're dreaming and hoping that God would use these words, his words, from his book and his spirit, and, and these, these conversations, these talks, for us to understand who the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit works, what a gift the Holy Spirit is, and the unity and the power that's available when we say yes to God's Spirit. And so today, as we begin, I want us to consider the person of Peter. His name's Simon Peter, if you've heard of him, and partly because he's the central disciple that, that the writer Luke focuses on in Acts, but, but mostly because Peter, more than anyone, shows us how we can be filled with God's Spirit so that, so that we can overcome the fears and the failures or, or the pain or whatever stops us from living fully alive and following Jesus. So if you want to turn to the first chapter of Acts, I'll give you a little background on Simon Peter. Uh, Simon Peter is known as Simon and as Peter, and he's got a brother named Andrew. They both grew up fishermen. Jesus called them from this task of fishing to be his disciples. If Peter was a color, he'd be red. If he was, um, if he was a fortune, if, if he could be summed up in a, a fortune, in a fortune cookie, it would be ready, fire, aim. And um, if he wasn't extroverted, he was for sure an external processor, and he was very robust. He kind of had the emotions on the sleeve or, or off-the-cuff kind of guy. I, I have no idea who and how I might relate to him. But what, I, what amazes me about Peter is if you think about the three years that he's with Jesus, Peter's the guy that when he sees Jesus in a storm walking on water, he goes, hey, Lord, if, if, can I walk out there with you? If, you know, if you want me to come out there, I will, because you're walking on water, so I'll walk on water. Now he freaks out, but... He's the one who says that. He's also the one that first says, when Jesus asks, who do people say I am? He says, you are the Christ. You are the chosen one. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, well done, Peter. God has revealed this to you. Now, when Jesus says, I'm going to lay down my life, Peter's also the one that says, whoa, 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 whoa. You just, that's not the way it's supposed to go. You're not going to lay your life down, Jesus. And he says, get behind me, Satan. So he's kind of a back and forth guy, but, but he's the one that, that makes kind of a stink about Jesus washing his feet. But he's also the one who says, even if all these guys desert you, I won't desert you. And he's the one who tries to protect Jesus when he goes to pray in the garden and Judas brings these temple guards and these priests to come and, and rescue or to come and seize Jesus to bring him to trial. He's the one who goes samurai on the guard and cuts off his ear in, in what would later be known to the rest of the disciples as a little joke of the battle of Gethsemane. But, but Peter is the one who acts in this book called Acts. But Peter's also the one who deserts Jesus at his trial. He's the one who denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but, but three times, that even knows him. And in all the writers that talk about the crucifixion, he is never mentioned at the cross. Peter knows what it's like to be afraid and to fail. Your best friend, your teacher, your Lord. 
But something happened in those 40 and 50 days after the resurrection. Something happened in Peter that caused him to go from the sidelines to unstoppable. That caused him to go from this flaky deserter to this devoted disciple. Something that caused him to go from from being afraid to publicly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Something happened in him from being filled with fear to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's something that isn't just reserved for 2,000 years ago for Peter. It's here for us. So would you look at this beginning of Acts? Luke is the writer, and he says in Acts 1.1, In my former book, Theophilus, which is a fancy guy that means lover of God, who probably commissioned Luke to write the book, he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began, key there, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to these disciples or now these apostles, ones who have sent, who have been sent to these disciples that he has chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them giving many convincing proofs that he was alive. That's that 40 or 50, 40 days. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised for which you have heard me speak about. We just talked about it. Louis just talked about it in the end of Luke before communion. But he says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized or you will be immersed in the Holy Spirit. See, this, the Spirit comes in this story, this beginning of this story offers us some clues about how Peter was transformed. And I think it offers us clues for us, not just clues, but but certain hope of how we can overcome whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're remembering, whatever might even be in the future looming that you think could stop you in fully following in your faith, being filled with God's spirit, we'll do that and we'll see how. Peter takes this, this step here. He starts out seeking comfort, but then he steps out to receive Jesus' forgiveness and love. We find it in this little phrase of after suffering, he presented himself to them and gave him many convincing proofs he was alive during that period of 40 days. Maybe you have even one page in between. In the end of John, Jesus specifically, John talks about this, where, where Peter, he goes back to fishing because he was a fisherman. He's uncomfortable. He's not sure what this means. So he does what I think most of us would do, seek something familiar something comfortable. He goes to fish, but it says in the text here that they went out to fish, but they didn't catch anything. And and there's times in our lives where I think, you know, sometimes we can hear about Jesus, we can learn about Jesus, we can start to believe in Jesus, we can even see Jesus work in our lives, and all of a sudden we have too much proof that this is fake where we know. Even if we not, might not be able to theologically accurately explain it, we know that Jesus is alive and active. We know that even if we can't see him, we've seen him work. 
We believe the stories that others have told us about how he has miraculously worked in their lives, and maybe you've even seen him miraculously work in your life, but something now isn't working. So we seek comfort. We seek familiar. And Peter does the same thing, but like I said, once we've seen Jesus work so many times, the thing that's familiar and the thing that we're seeking in comfort, it's just not going to satisfy us. They don't catch anything. But, but Jesus, you know, out of his love, he, he goes up to the beach and he's like, have you caught anything? And no, we, we haven't. And well, throw the, you know, throw them on the other side. Well, that's not going to work, but they do. And then John and Peter realize, and John being the responsible disciple that, that he is, he stays and pulls the nets in of the fish and Peter jumps off the boat literally and swims to shore to, to see Jesus. And, um, and NBC right now is airing this show called A.D., literally on the first uh, 10 chapters of Acts, maybe 12 chapters of Acts. And I've seen this clip where Jesus, Peter jumps in and stands before Jesus on the shore, and they, like, embrace in this manly, like, I'm going to put my hand on your shoulder so that you can't come in for a hug. And I, I just, I'm like, mm, no, I think Jesus would have hugged him. Well, even if Jesus wouldn't, Peter would have. That's just the kind of guy he was. But more than getting a hug, Jesus asks him if he loves him. We see it at the kind of middle of the chapter where Jesus pulls Peter aside and says, do you love me, Peter? He says, you know, yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Not comfort, mission, work. Well, do you, do you love me, Peter? Second time. Well, you know I love you. Uh, Peter, do you love me? Third time. And, and Peter's kind of broken at three times. Why do you have to ask me three times? Are you just not convinced? It's kind of like inviting people over in Minnesota. Well, do you want to come over? No, no. Do you, really, do you want to come over? You got to decline twice before you can accept. That's just kind of Minnesota nice protocol. Um, if you're not from here, it's weird. But it's the same idea in Jewish thought as well as Peter's denied him three times. Jesus forgives him, but it's not pity. Jesus forgives him and loves him for a mission. There's work to be done. He doesn't say, receive my forgiveness. He doesn't say, know my love. He doesn't say, I'll give you a hug. He says, here's work to do. It's the work that I've had you do the whole time. Sort of like, Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed, Peter. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you think you've done something or messed up or been so afraid that you failed God and, and you believe that there's this groveling that has to happen or that you're going to be on the sidelines now forever or at least for several seasons of your life because you've just messed up. I believe that God is saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? There's work to be done. Let's go. And that can be some of the most reviving and revitalizing and, and really the thing that sets us into this unstoppable moment, this unstoppable mission that Jesus in us makes us. And we're invited to it. If you wanted it as, as a principle or if you wanted it as like 
okay, give me an action step just because I, I, you know, I'm concrete. I would say if we want to be filled with God's spirit, then we have to step towards forgiveness. Peter steps towards forgiveness. He faces the fears of being rejected or he faces the fears of being called, um, oh, insert your word. I'll just use nincompoop, you know. But in that moment, he finds himself again. He's always been a leader. When he says, I'm going to go fishing, seven of the disciples go with him. This is who he is. And Jesus calls him back to it. But see, when you do this, you don't just get forgiveness. I think you get a deep, deep and personal sense of gratitude of how Jesus doesn't just come back to life comes back to your life and your life and your life. He saves you. He doesn't just save the world. He does that, but he saves you. And that Peter never forgets that. That's part of, part of this start of being filled with the Spirit. He steps towards that forgiveness. He finds that gratitude. And now it's not about comfort anymore. It's not about the familiar anymore. It's about, I know Jesus is with me wherever I go. So maybe for for us or for you, it's, you know, what's that comfortable thing that you're holding on to or that familiar thing that that really is keeping you from freedom and courage and joy? Well, the second thing, we see, because some of us can get over that, but, but the second one we see is that, that Peter and, and the other disciples, in this moment before they're filled with the Spirit, they start seeking control. And then they step up and they give themselves to God's authority. We see it right at the end of Jesus, we call it the little reinstatement of Peter. And Peter turns and looks at John, and he says, Jesus, what about him? I want to know his story. And Jesus basically says, uh, if I want him to remain alive until I come back, what's it to you? Like, you don't get to know. We see it in Acts, right after we, picked up, we pick up right from where we left off, where Jesus says, you know, wait for you to be filled with the Spirit. But then they gather around and they ask him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, you know what? It's not for you to know the dates of the times my father has sent before by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in the place we're at now, Jerusalem, and then in our country, Judea, and then to Samaria, where you might not want to go, and then to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Kind of like, They're on a hill, like Moses was on a mountain, and God's presence came down in a cloud. Jesus enters God's presence before their very eyes. It says they were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This Jesus, this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. And so the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill they were on called the Mount of Olives, 
a Sabbath day's walk from the city because it was the Sabbath. It was important. And when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. And those who were present were, and Peter is listed first. And John and the, the rest of the 11 now disciples because Judas has ended his life. And it says they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women, the women that had been at the tomb, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. These were the same people who said Jesus was out of his mind when he started his ministry. But now they're there praying. And they're gathered together. And in this, we see a couple things. But first we see the fact that the disciples still have an agenda for Jesus. Like, when they ask about restoring the kingdom of Jerusalem, that's, that's a Jew's way of saying, like, Jesus, you were supposed to be the Messiah, which means you're supposed to be king. You're supposed to take Rome out. That's the occupying nation, so it really wouldn't have mattered. Nothing against Rome. If it would have been Greece, they would have said, take Greek, Greece out. If it would have been Egypt, they would have said, take Egypt out. Take these people out that are oppressing us and then set up our deal. We don't want to oppress people. We just want our space on our time, and in, but we would like to be in charge. You know, maybe on your left or your right, they, they want to seek control. Right? None of us can relate to this, right? None of us have ever tried to seek control in an unfamiliar situation. None of us have ever tried to seek control when, we, when all of a sudden the game changes and all, when resurrection is possible, there's power available, there's momentum that's happening, and we're, we're not sure what's happening. It's sort of like surfing. Uh, I was asking Jason, our student coordinator, because he actually was from the West Coast, and I'm like, dude, I've seen surfboards in your house. And he's like, oh yeah, I skip baseball and track all the time to surf. And he's like, in fact, some of the best surfing happens in storms. So, you know, when it's thunder, lightning, wind, he's like, I go out because the waves are great. Serious? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a little hard to control, but you do it. But some of us, that's a little harder. I already told you about me. But in this moment, Jesus says, God has the authority. You don't get to know. See, sometimes uh, one of the older scholars uh, said this. He said, sometimes we just need to remember that God needs to do what God needs to do, and we're not supposed to do his job, and we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do, because God's not going to do our job. And Jesus essentially says, you don't get to know that because that's in God's authority, but you're going to get power so that you can talk about it and show it. Words of truth and acts of love. And you will be my witnesses. Witnesses have to take the stand when it's hard. When it's a murder case and there's mafia people that are calling for a hit on the witness, sometimes they have to take a stand in a hard thing. That's not movies. That's still real. And some of us want to seek control. Well, let me know how that goes. I remember uh, when I had my best and greatest state of my life, June 21st, uh, a long time ago. I'm with my, who would be my wife, but she wasn't then. There was no guarantee. So I said, so I've had a great time with you. I can see myself spending the rest of my life with you. Uh, you know, if I were to ask you to, to, to marry me, what would you say? She's like, are you asking well, no, 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 no. I mean, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, it's hypothetical. She's like, well, like, man up and ask. I'm not going to tell you. 
So I waited like four more months because I, I wanted to control it. Well, I'm not going to ask if you're going to say no. I don't want to be rejected. But I think some of us do that. Some of us do that in our faith. Well, I don't want to talk to that person about faith unless you tell me that like, they're going to be okay and not, not ask me any questions that, that I don't know the answer to. Or I don't want to step into saying yes to that because I believe it's morally right. I, I even believe like, that God is kind of urging me to do that because I, I might lose my job or I, I might lose that friend. And we seek, to contr- we seek to take God's authority when we don't have the authority. But he does give us power. He gives us power and our response when we understand God's authority, when we truly like, if, if we could just spend a couple hours here and talk about the ascension, which would be super fun for a, a couple of us, um, our response would be worship. When we realize that Jesus somehow goes into a cloud and, and yet he's here. I mean, the disciples, as we read through Acts, They don't talk about Jesus in the past tense other than his death. Once they talk about the resurrection and him being alive, it's present. It's active. They can feel the power. They're swept up in the movement. It's because they've had this proper response to God's authority. And it's really just giving ourselves to God's authority and worshiping him until we receive the power. We can't be filled with God's spirit if we don't Give ourselves to God's authority. If you never feel like you, if you've never felt like you've been filled with God's spirit, it's not a super special, I mean, it is, but it's not something you have to ask for over and over. But if you've never submitted yourself, if you've never given yourself over to God's authority, you can't have it. That was hard for me to realize. It's been a long time, I still have moments where I struggle with, but, but that's the second step that really Peter takes, that the disciples have to take, that I think we have to take. If we want to be filled with God's spirit, we have to give ourselves to God's authority. And it doesn't mean we just resign ourselves to do nothing. It means we worship him and we pray and we wait for the power. And once we have the power, we act and we respond. And if we don't, sometimes he has us learn it again because he's good. He's a good God. He's a great God. He's very, very patient. I know. He sometimes helped me learn something three or four or seven or eight times because once I receive the power and the understanding, I don't act. But that's not what we see here. We see the people worshiping him. We see them meeting together, praying together. I I believe the word is in here because Peter stands up and says, hey, to the believers, you know, brothers and sisters, uh, we've got to replace Judas. But this happened in the Psalms. And he goes into the story in the Psalms of how this already happened. And then when he stands up on, on this Sunday that we know as Pentecost that we'll, we'll talk about next week, he stands up and he quotes from a later prophet, Joel. He's been in the word. He's been in prayer. He's understood. He's worshiped. He's seen who Jesus is. He's seen how powerful he is. He's certainly going to give himself over to the authority of God because God is pow- God has way more authority, way more power, way more knowledge than than Peter does, and that's what makes him unstoppable. We can't just sit here. It's not a motivational speech, friends. It's Jesus in us that makes us unstoppable. What do you need to give yourself over to, to the power of the Holy Spirit? 
to be filled with the Spirit. How do you need to worship Jesus in this new way so that you can act? We can never lead someone else to food unless it's food for us. But see, when the Spirit comes, we just got to be ready to ride a wild wave. I'll close with this, this story, this beginning of, of Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, we'll talk about that next week, there was this, they were together, they were praying in one place, they were worshiping Jesus, just like we had read, and all of a sudden, this wind came, like a blowing of a violent wind from heaven, and it filled the house where they were stirring, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, wouldn't that have been cool? Tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. God is trying to appeal to our senses here. He's trying to explain something that happens in heaven and on earth in the simultaneous moment, and, and he's lost for words. It's kind of like going to the Grand Canyon and coming back from him and being like, I saw rocks, and there's a river at the bottom, and it was huge. Like, w- that, those words don't describe it, but, but Luke does a great job of, of being empowered by the Spirit to appeal to his senses to say, look, um, he's going to first appeal to what we, we hear, and then he's going to appeal to what we see. And, and so he talks about this rushing wind of this sound and the feelings that are associated with it, much like I was just in Arizona and the new F-35 uh, fighter jet is, is in their training runs regularly. So Luke Air Force Base over in Arizona, like this thing goes into the, the sky and it can hit uh, mock speeds and sonic booms and it is powerful. It's amazing to watch. And that's the kind of power that is available to us when we're filled with the Spirit. It's the availability, it's the thing that uh, Luke is trying to describe to us in the wind first. But then when he appeals to our sight, he talks about these tongues, these these fire that, that rest on each person. But it's fire because fire is always sent to purify in the scriptures. And, and tongues because, because tongues are to speak. And our God is a God of purity and of speaking. And that's what he calls us to. He calls us to power and to purity and to speak. And so that's what's going on here. And that's what Jesus says, jump into that. Get immersed in that. Be baptized into that. And your life will be unstoppable. You will continue it. It's the spirit in us that makes us do that, that helps us witness, even when it's hard. We could be a church that raffles off PS4s and cars, and let me tell you, we could gather a pretty big crowd at it. In fact, one of my church planting friends says, yeah, if you want to gather a crowd, that's a good way to do it. Here's the guy who did it and showed us a video. It was crazy. I don't want to do that. I want us to gather to experience the miraculous. I want us to gather as people who don't have it perfect, but believe that God still moves and acts like he does in acts. People that will experience moments of quiet where the still small voice of God comes in and moments of wind and power where we can be changed and we can be moved in giant leaps forward. That's the kind of place that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of spirit I want to invite you into. And that's the thing that I think will move us to moments of being unstoppable. Not for comfort, not for familiarity, not for control, but for God's holy mission.
I don't know if I'm ever going to be part, I'm pretty confident I'm never going to be part of a winning NCAA team. I'm also pretty confident, well, I, I, I'm, I've got a, the, the jury's still out on whether or not I'll ever surf. But I am so confident that Jesus still works. And if you need him to work in your life, today is a day when we close, the band's going to come up, we're going to pray, we're going to sing, and, and it's a moment for you to put that thing, that, that fear or that pain or that, that piece of your life that is stopping you from being fully alive and to give it to Jesus and to ask him to be filled with your spirit because amazing things can happen. You pray with me. God, I, I thank you for, for how you, you work and how you continue to work. And Jesus, how you're alive and you're alive in us, but you're truly here. Sometimes we even get glimpses to see how you've worked. Sometimes we get glimpses to see how you speak. And we long to see you. But God, you've given us more than you've given your disciples in so many ways. We have the truth of your word. We have hundreds of years of people's experiences and stories. We've got amazing understanding of your prophecies. And we've got songs and prayers and people. Help us to see that. Help us to worship you. In the midst of it, if we're waiting for something, help us to worship you. If we're seeking control, help us to see your authority. If we're seeking comfort, help us to see the bigger mission that really you continue to do. But make us people, God, that are filled with your spirit. Speaking and acting in love and truth and in power. Amen.